Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. What do you do if a house you've never seen before simply appears on the other side of your back fence one morning? Is the human race unknowingly serving an alien race? How do you get your occult crazy friends to stop using Ouija boards? Hello, and welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. And I'm Ben, and those far-ranging questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. So today we have an open-line show. Uh, Well, technically, it's evening. So we have no guest. And as far as emails go, uh, please know that any time is a good time to call in, because all we have is emails to talk about. Uh, locally or from Canada, the numbers tonight are 401-766-1240, and it's 800-449-1240 for anywhere else in the United States. So from locally or in Canada, the number is 401-766-1240, or anywhere else in the United States, is the number is 800-449-1240. But first, it is time again for a weekly paranormal contest. So last week's question was, what race of beings are sometimes known as the lordly ones? The lordly ones. And also, just for the record, this is our 333rd show. you got to make sure we get that in there. All right, so John Gauthier, or Gauthier, or however you want to pronounce it from around here, from Rentham, Massachusetts, was the first one to get that one, right? In European folklore, the little people, or fairies, were sometimes known as the lordly ones. Now, this indicates something that we miss in our shallow, modern understanding of our own ancestors' folklore, at least if our ancestors came from Europe. Originally, the fairies, as we call them, weren't thought of as little tiny people with wings, you know, dancing around mushrooms at night. (laughs) They were what appears to be a noble, uh, if you will, alien race who came to Earth after being exiled from somewhere else by a far less noble race than they. Uh, We'll talk more about that uh, on next week's show when we have a very distinguished guest on the subject. I was wondering where the wings came from. It's not not like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. what are you going to do? It's human nature to put put wings on things. Uh. All right, so this week's question is, in what town and state would you find the ghost of Resurrection Mary? And get that right, and win a copy of Footsteps in the Attic. My dad's most popular book. That's right. I was going to give you away as the prize this week. Ah, yes. yes. Ship ship me in a crate, like (laughs) cartoon style over here. Spent the night in a crate. Anyway, the phone numbers again this evening, locally or from Canada or anywhere else for that matter, 401-766-1240. Or from anywhere in the USA, 800-449-1240. Or you can write us during the week. Uh, we are not monitoring email right now, unfortunately, but you can monitor us during the week at paul at behindtheparanormal.com. Dot com or Ben at BehindTheParanormal.com if you wish to answer our question, and no one has done so before the end of the show. Now to our emails. Okay. We have a number of very, you know, I'm, I'm, I never cease to be uh, impressed by the um, uh, intelligence and thoughtfulness of our listeners. I, I'm very impressed. That's what this show is supposed to be for, and I, I like to think this means we're kind of doing our job. Anyway, this is a question about many worlds, and it's from Meg S. in Windsor, Ontario. Okay, so Meg writes to us tonight. Hi, Paul and Ben. I love listening to you two, especially when you get going on other worlds. My daughter wants to know if Harry Potter, <laughs> Harry Potter's <laughs> world is real. I do, too, especially when it comes to places like we- Weasley's Kitchen, where the pots and pans wash themselves. Well, I'd like to know that myself, Meg. Uh, actually... Well, strictly speaking, as we've said several times on the show before, the, the whole point that is made often in the whole in the multiple worlds interpretation of quantum mechanics, which is a, a generally accepted physical principle in science, although it is interpreted in many, many different ways, uh, that all things that can possibly exist do exist in one or more different worlds. And we've often said on the show, I remember we did our Halloween show, uh, we tried to come up with something interesting and unusual for that, naturally. The Great Pumpkin. And we're talking about the Great Pumpkin. Well, uh, uh, strictly speaking, unless the Great Pumpkin or some creature like that, uh, some equivalent, exists somewhere or somewhere in all these different alternate worlds, then... Then uh, Charles Schultz, the cartoonist for the Peanuts cart- cartoons, never would have thought of it. 
Because at some point, he, in one of his lives, is experiencing this creature, and it comes through because we're all one big mind, so to speak, uh, certainly among the, even among these different worlds. So, yeah, I think it's entirely possible that there are worlds in which, and, and what, the, the critical factor here is that many physicists believe, and will state that it's, it's, it's a, uh, a fact that you know, among these different worlds, there are di- there can be different laws of physics. So that in some worlds you might be able to fly, right? Although th- those worlds would probably be very uh, rare. Uh, in other worlds, there would be all sorts of creatures such as you would not recognize, or, or uh, camels might have two heads, or you know anything that is conceivable, anything that is, that is possible under any number of physical laws or scenarios uh, does exist somewhere someone in the multiverse so sure there probably is a world there may be many worlds in which people can you know give a word of command and the pots and pans wash themselves unfortunately this is not one of those as far as i know mm. although uh these worlds can mix people can call upon this is what shamans do call upon the powers of, of other worlds and even maybe even the physical characteristics of them and and bring them into ours for things that we need. There is, I don't know if this is true, we should check this out, Ben, that the, I, 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 and I don't know which, it, it's in the Wiccan religion this man has talked about, but he has perfected this technique to the point where he can simply, he doesn't even have to do any kind of spells, he doesn't have to do any kind of words, he just sort of uh, projects his will at something and it will occur. Supposedly he lives in Scotland, and he's very, uh, very old, and very um, uh, well. He's very careful about his time. Very careful about whom he, who he talks to. He will do counseling and, and training sometimes, but he's is very little known. And uh, I, this is just what I heard. I don't know if any such person exists. However, you know of people in the mountains of China. Uh, oh yeah, well there aren't a, a lot. I mean, there's an ancient form of martial arts in ancient China that. It still sort of remains today, but it's not like the true thing. If anyone's seen Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, it's like that, except way more intense and actually existed. I mean, it may seem kind of ridiculous. Like it was the Wudun discipline. I, I heard about that when I was in martial arts training in the military, strangely enough. Yeah, many many years ago, it, it, it may it may seem like like oh well, people can't fly around and stuff. All these people were so. Well, like, I, I never saw. I heard things. Like, you wouldn't believe the things you hear, but. You well, know, but again, China was a weird these th- all things are possible. Well, ancient China was an interesting place. Sure I mean, was. There was all sorts of like, well, they were very, very well. They have a different way of thinking than we do, obviously, or they did. Well, actually, everyone had a different way of thinking. If you look back, well, at you can argue that they had to teach our ancestors how to wear pants. Yeah, true, well, true, well, and then is. came back over there and didn't have a decent pair of pantaloons. <laughs> well, anyway, okay, so I think that's a long answer to a short question. I think, yes, I think, Meg, it's entirely possible. You can tell your daughter that uh, the, the worlds like Harry Potter certainly must exist. But to the untrained mind, imagine how, like, terrifying that would be. That's That's an excellent point. There's a very thin line between horror and humor. Mm-hmm. And I think that the greatest, and I think almost Lovecraft uh, talked about this, uh, I think, in, in his essay, uh, um, uh, Supernatural Horror in Literature, very little known, but it was, it was a brilliant essay. And in that, he kind of touched on the point that the greatest terror can be evoked in us by, by some kind of disjointedness in time and space. Like, like if, if we got up in the morning and the sun was rising in the west instead of the east, or... The birds flew upside down, or something. I mean, it would just—that would be our sense of security would be gone. Those are the most basic things that we experience, mm. uh, pretty much. And then things in our own lives, or you know, you wake up and you, and, you know, there's, there's somebody lying in the bed next to you you never saw before, and things, you know, that's pretty. Uh, there can be, you know, all sorts of things that you take for granted that can break down if time and space are break down, and that is what the paranormal. Seems to be, and why it scares people. Because yeah, it's like the Twilight Zone. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a disjointedness in time and space. Things are there that shouldn't be there, 
uh, didn't he die last week? Or you know, is, isn't what's 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 that? Uh, as we're going to see shortly in in Orleans, what's that house doing there? I've lived here for twenty years and I've never seen that house before. What mm. the heck is this? Well, the it, it's we're creatures of habit, so we're used to things being in some sort of a routine. Even people who are like, well, I don't like routine. I try to do things differently. It's like, well, no matter what, you still have a routine that you stick to every day. Yeah. And if that little routine is messed up a little bit, you get ridiculously anxious. Well, when I was uh, I was the one who was home with you and, and your brother, you know, because I, I was the writer. I worked at home, and I, you pretty much spent your days with me when you were growing up. And I was always told, of course, that routine and ritual are two of the most important factors for security in a human life. And uh, I, I don't know what the results were. <laughs> But I always tried to give you an orderly life and, uh, and this sort of thing and security, despite all the craziness that I was involved with here. But anyway, the point being that uh, uh, this apparently is uh, what horror is about, is the things we just aren't used to. Uh, so again, uh, that's um, the, this world of Harry Potter might be uh, horrifying to, to some people or it might be great. It, it sounds fun in theory, but I, I feel like it would be utterly terrifying. <laughs> yeah, very possible. Very, uh, very good and astute point. Okay, here's one. This is from Barry in Rentham, Massachusetts, and Barry would like to know. Okay, so Barry writes to us. I've heard you talk several times on the show about churches that are having paranormal issues. You also talk about the power of religious items, uh, sacred names against parasites. So can churches really be haunted? That's a good question. Uh, it has come up before. I, I haven't run into really haunted churches as such of course it depends what's doing the haunting that that's and what do you mean by haunting our idea of a haunting is you've got overlapping parallel realities and you've got stuff impinging from an alien reality onto our own uh, or a reality that is at least not necessarily alien but is not our own impinging upon upon our own at that point uh, one of the uh, I made some notes here on this. One of the more interesting examples of a church that people might think would have been haunted was was what is considered one of the scariest photographs ever taken of a ghost. All right, quote unquote ghost. And this was taken in 1963 by by the uh, rector of a church in Newby, North Yorkshire, England. And it was it's a, a very famous picture. Actually, I think uh, we may or may not have it on our website, but. It's a, a monk-like figure. He was taking the, the priest was taking a picture of the altar, and there's sort of a very tall, eight or nine foot tall monk-like figure, very thin, in a cowl and robes, with a uh, what appears to be a, a, a cloth mask over its face with eye holes cut in it. And uh, it is considered. It has been tested thirty million times. Well, not that many, you know, but a lot by. People who are supposedly photo experts and this sort of thing, and everyone has agreed that, at least so far, that it is not a double exposure. It is not any kind of uh, fakery involved here, because you know this is before Photoshop. It's before digital photography, and uh, there appears to be no. Uh, the actual negative has been studied, and there appears to be no uh, trickery involved. So, now what, the reason I bring that up is because. Uh, it was interesting. This church had no history whatsoever that was I have ever been able to find out about of any kind of haunting problems. Uh, nothing happened after this photograph was taken either. Uh, the rector was very concerned, but he didn't really know what to do. He was careful who he showed it to. But uh, in other words, did that mean the place was quote-unquote haunted? Perhaps not. As a matter of fact, I happen to um, have had... Ben and I both are rubbing elbows with uh, a certain species from, I suppose, one of our parallel neighbors. And uh, Ben, uh, early on, started to call them the clerics. This is a picture of a cleric, or whatever that race may be. They appear to be very benign, very, very tall, humanoid-type creatures uh, from a close parallel reality that one runs into in, the, in paranormal research, if one knows what one is looking for. And with the mask over the face, uh, I came to know, was uh, something they do when they are at prayer. They pull a mask over their face as a sign of humility. And they, they wear, so I mean, they are almost like monks. And uh, we have been, I, I might go so far as to say, assisted in several cases, of, by, or at least one particular that Bennett was involved with, uh, by one of these uh, rather benign and um, neighborly 
beings, but still very quiet. So, I mean, that, that's what I saw when I looked at that picture. Most people are terrified. What a weird-looking creature. You know? Yeah, and yeah, true. Well, you can't, you can't just... Well, and judge how, a how ghost by this? its collar. You gotta, you gotta, yeah, they're exactly. not ghosts. I mean, they're perfectly physical beings. Yeah. That's the thing with this, and that a lot of people can't get by, is that we're not dealing with spirit worlds here or non-corporeal entities, at least not in most cases in our experience. And as I said, I've been at this for 42 years, and what I'm running into are perfectly physical beings from worlds that happen to overlap. And uh, that that seems to be how the universe is constructed. So to answer uh, Barry's question, I have never run into an actual haunted church as such. One hopes that there is enough enough positive energy in any religious community, because that's not always true, uh, to prevent parasitical or negative entities from uh, operating there. But then again, uh, I, I, I hate to say this, especially after all the years I spent in the seminary and, and a lot of happy memories from that, but uh, there is much evil that I have seen in churches and never outside of, I don't mean just churches, but any religious group at all. Uh, you know, I, I'm, and I don't want to name it outright, but there, there are several religious groups uh, who um, are violent, you know, and, and very much involved with hatred of other, of other groups and other people who don't believe the way they do. Uh, there are a number of them, unfortunately, and so I don't need I don't need to say any more about that. But well, there are, he, he <clears throat> mentions that like, well, if religious symbols help fight against evil, well, they're symbols. I mean, that you can. It depends on how you use them. I mean, if you write a bunch of letters on a page because letters are symbols, mm-hmm. you could just write like gobbledygook. I mean, that does, it, it's all all depends on how you use it. Well, it is how you use it, and it depends on your own belief as well. Yeah. And I've said several times in talking about this sort of thing that that religious symbols really work best if you believe in them. Now, one that it's interesting that one that does seem to be kind of universal is holy water. And this, of course, is for those who don't know, you know, is water that is literally blessed in the midst of a uh, generally a Christian community. But there, there's pagan holy water too. Well, yeah, Hindus you know. have uh, the, sure the, the holy river. Yeah, yeah, well, the Ganges. Well, at Abydos in Egypt is is the temple of Isis, where people uh, have been known to be healed of cancer by bathing in the waters of the Assyrian. Well, one can make an argument too that it's it. Well, besides that, um, it's it's fundamental to life. I mean, we're all made up of water. But then one could point at like an old, like an ancient philosopher, like Thales or something, because he said like, oh, the primary element of all things is water. He was right. Yeah, hydrogen and oxygen. Well, especially hydrogen. That's well, he meant, a, he meant in a symbolic universe. sense, but yeah. Yeah, well, he was more right than he thought. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. You know, people who say these things, they turn out to be you know brilliantly right and didn't even know it. Well, I like kind of always had a soft spot for Thales anyway, the Greek philosopher. But in any case, uh, holy water does seem, when, when it is, uh, I know the, how the Orthodox do it. You know, you have the entire community that you know, surrounds this huge vat of water and... and uh, it's blessed, and and uh, presumably, and hopefully, certainly, the, the whole positive energy of love and good things goes into this, and it's really it's powerful stuff. So uh, that is one of the few. Uh, it's generally associated with Christianity, but that's one of the few, if you want to call sacramentals or or symbols that, that I will recommend to anybody, regardless of their own religious background, yeah. in, in a case, and and it really works a lot. You know, now, you know what? The, also, they have holy salt. That's right. I've never, I never, I've never heard of that until I started dating a Catholic girl. Never, yeah. never heard of like holy salt. I thought that was the weird. I was like, wow. Well, it's not, it's not very, it's not used very, very. Common. Yeah, yeah. A, I was like, wow, holy yeah. salt. Huh, that's interesting. Yeah, the salt of the earth. Haha. <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, but but still, you know, your own faith is is really important. Then people say, well, what do you mean the cross doesn't have any? I see the cross doesn't have any power. So there's more power when you believe in it. Or, or the Quran, or 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 the uh, the, the Bible, or anything, the, the Torah, anything, the scroll, anything you want to use. Uh, I've seen I've seen children protected by teddy bears. They kind of believe in you know when there have been unfortunately uh, parasitical um, entities operating in their in their home or something like that. So uh, it's it's a matter of um, something in theology that is known as synergy, S Y N E R G Y, which is the working together. Of people and God, and this creates a pretty good partnership, especially when people work together 
and then together work with God, as in the holy water thing. A small example, but it, uh, I, I'm speaking from, you know, as I say, 42 years of experience and seeing what works and what doesn't. So uh, I would at the same time hesitate to bring, I suppose, crosses into a Jewish or Muslim or Hindu household because it doesn't mean that much to them. Uh, so the, the, the faith is, is uh, better and their own power to resist negative entities is, is best uh, called upon by using symbols that mean more to them and to their own faith. So you get my point. But it is interesting about the holy water thing. People working together and infusing uh, this this basic element of the universe, especially hydrogen, with the power of love. It, it, it really, it's it, you can draw all sorts of amazing, wonderful physical and uh, spiritual and uh, philosophical concepts from that. Mm. I think. Well, water is also a very powerful thing, even if you're not religious. I mean, um, who was it? He he was this. Uh, I don't know if you call him psychic, but he would look into the water and like see. Like all these things in the water, and he'd help solve murder cases. Oh, that was a fellow right around here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to remember who it yeah. was. I wish I, I could remember. remember. He's very well known. I, I, well, if he's listening, I do apologize. I don't remember your name. I believe he's retired yeah, now. But he, he told me, he said, it's funny that we talk about water because he uh, very often would uh, t- be attempting to help the police with cases and and stand on the bridge over the Blackstone River. And uh, he would uh, feel more energy and, and more uh, knowledge and this sort of thing. Uh, because water does what? It, it conducts electromagnetic energy, which can uh, do things to space-time. Yeah. And you can perhaps see across boundaries more easily if you're in, you know, around water. There, there are interesting traditions about water when it comes to paranormal entities. Uh, ghosts cannot cross water. Well, that's not really true, but there may be a folk belief in now that for witches. And which is supposedly which is cannot, cannot cross water. Which is yeah. cannot cross water. Yeah, oh, I mean, that's, yeah, I've never, I mean, I'm sure plenty of Wiccans who go to work over bridges every day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, exactly. But you no, know, it's an old folk belief. All the old folk beliefs are based on some grain of truth somewhere along the line. And that could have been just uh, somebody noticing, well, you know, I, I feel more protected when I'm near water. On the other hand, we, we've had cases, now you weren't involved in this one uh, over here in the town of Gloucester, Rhode Island, Ben. But uh, on Lake, I believe it was Lake Washington. There, they, there was a little peninsula that came out into the lake, and they had all kinds of crazy stuff going on. And it almost reminded me of the house in Connecticut that we've been dealing with for so many years. With sort of a uh, multiversal crossroads, they would see all these things and entities and the, the seemingly unrelated things that just uh, uh, would occur there. Very so, fun case. Oh yeah, exactly. So that that apparently was what uh, what happened there. So anyway, that's uh, just a dealing with our church question here. Uh, I've never really encountered a sort of haunted church in that sense. Uh, although people will say, because abandoned churches or monasteries very often have uh, strange things going on. Uh, I remember that there are several cases in Europe where there are you can still hear monks singing, uh, for example, sometimes on a different level that used to be there like in the 12th century but not today yeah. but again this all seems to be multiversal mm. you know world's uh, world boundaries crossing and uh, the monks are still there in the 12th century actually singing and you can hear it in the 21st or like we had a guest on who was um, talking about ley lines and things like that and was saying like oh yeah some ancient like churches and monasteries were built on like sites of power like they'd knock down pagan stuff and just put churches there like well, Ros- that's true. like the yeah, Roslyn Chapel you know, p- uh, certain places you know and, and we've dealt with that question what makes some place holy what makes it sacred what might make it sacred than somewhere else and uh, the, the uh, there are a lot of devotees of the ley line theory which is essentially energy lines uh, electromagnetic, presumably cro- crisscrossing the earth like a net, and uh, they uh, somehow, uh, if you build on these lines or where they cross, that th- that is where it's considered a sacred place because if you stand there, you yourself are energized by these, and you can see across world boundaries, and you get to know certain stuff like this. So, okay, we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back on Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON twelve forty AM and ONWorldwide.com in New England's beautiful Blackstone Valley. Hi, I'm Connie Lamond inviting you to listen to Say La Vie, That's Life with short stories about local people. Could be your neighbor, your relative. Tune in on Fridays at 9.05 a.m. and Saturdays at 8 a.m. I'll let you guess who the person is. Owen Radio, Owen Worldwide. 
and we wanted to tell you about the wonderful Amazon Kindle devices that are available now for e-reading. And, of course, e-reading is just like regular reading, except you don't have to go out and spend a lot of money on gas or go to an expensive bookstore to buy actual printed books. Uh, you have the device in your hand, and you literally download up to over a million books, uh, games, movies, newspapers, magazines, and you have them right in your hand. It's great, especially for vacations. And, of course, as we're now approaching uh, summer, believe it or not, uh, take it with you. It's great. Uh, the Kindle itself is only $79 at many places, including Staples. And the Kindle Fire, which is particularly marvelous, it's all color, and you can download all sorts of marvelous games and other other uh, activities on this. That's uh, $199, and I understand that's going to be coming down pretty soon, too. So in any case, uh, check it out. It's uh, really a, it's, it's a very good investment. It's a marvelous gift, and it certainly will pay for itself over the long run. Amazon Kindle and Amazon Kindle Fire. And, of course, as I always say, you can also also get four of my books uh, on these devices, uh, Faces at the Window, Footsteps in the Attic, uh, Turning Home, God, Ghosts, and Human Destiny, and uh, a non-paranormal title, Rhode Island, a genial history for our local audience. Certainly uh, might be interested in that. Uh, used in several school districts in Rhode Island and written with my good friend Glenn Laxton, of, formerly of Channel 12 in Providence. So check it out, Amazon Kindle Fire. Okay, let's get back to our emails now. Uh, I will, um, actually, this is a report from one of our show reporters, a very, very dear friend of ours, Donna uh, from Connecticut, who uh, handles uh, southern New England for us, uh, just keeping up on what's going on paranormally, and also happens to live in a house that is the site of one of the most remarkable cases that I have ever worked on, and is, as I say, one of these uh, Grand Central Station areas of the paranormal, or of the multiverse, where all sorts of things can happen, all sorts of seemingly unrelated creatures are seen, and all sorts of activities take place. And there's always something new to report. Uh, This is from uh, Donna, who just uh, wrote to us on Saturday about this, and it says, just a quick update, Uh, last night my daughter was downstairs in her living room reading by the staircase. My grandson had gone to bed, and she heard the chair move across the floor in the upstairs hallway. She yelled, this is a 1783 farmhouse, by the way, which doesn't necessarily mean anything, but the family has uh, lived there for many generations. Anyway, she yelled up for him to go back to bed. He didn't answer, so she listened, and it was quiet again. In a few more moments, she heard heavy footsteps going down the hall. She looked up and saw a person leaning over, looking down at her. She said it was gray, with no hair, and had long arms and fingers, which were visible when it was leaning over the edge of the rail. It had the shape of a face, but it was smooth with no features. It appeared to have something hanging off its arms, shoulders, and fingers that looked like gray rags. She jumped up and ran into her bedroom because she was scared, then carefully went to bed and left all the upstairs lights on. Now, there's more, but this is very interesting to us because this case is involve, involves a certain amount of UFO activity. It started with, quote-unquote, ghosts and all this interplay between all these words in about 2005 when they called in Ben and I on this. And then all of a sudden, uh, later on, it, it, it began to sort of hook up with other phenomena in this area. And this is the way we approach the paranormal. All these things seem to be connected. You don't have stuff going on in one house, and then maybe in another house something entirely different. It's all connected, and all has to do with these energies in this area. So when I hear about a gray being sort of looking over the stairs and then down onto people, and people, everybody in this house has seen or has felt something of of this kind going on, Uh, I begin to think, well, the gray color, uh, the the most commonly uh, reported alien being, supposedly from other planets, I don't know if that's true or not, from the UFO community is uh, something that looks just like this, something gray, although they usually have some sort of face, but uh, this this is, uh, it just kind of struck me because they have seen uh, the gray alien type of figure in in this house, and of course there's a lot of UFO, UFO activity in the area, and Ben and I have been researching all that, and have come up with some pretty interesting conclusions and had some interesting experiences in that vicinity. Uh, we do hope to have a town hall meeting in that area too to check up on what uh, what is going on with the other residents whom we understand are having interesting experiences as well. So anyway, uh, Donna continues, uh, my dogs keep running to the front door and barking like crazy, but no one is there, not even on the road. This is a pretty rural area. Uh, I was sitting on the edge of my bed earlier, and a dark gray block, about four inches by one inch, rectangle in shape, came out of the wall. This is typical in this house. 
went down toward the floor, came back up, went back down and came back up and went through the opposite wall and moved pretty fast, zigzag pattern. Just thought I'd keep you up to date. Well, thank you, Don. It's always an interesting experience to receive your thing. And, and again, we, we have, there are photographs of these things in many cases. Uh, we ourselves have, have had a lot of interesting experiences there. Uh, we got a video of some weird, one of the weirdest creatures I ever saw coming down out of a tree. And that's online at newenglandghosts.com under the Ghosts of Connecticut page. So anyway, thank you, Donna, for that. And uh, we are continuing on that case, and we will keep you updated, uh, you being the radio audience. Okay. Hope we get back there soon. Yeah, uh, we will be. And we we're trying to set up one. I don't know. There seems to be some kind of, um, I don't know. There's a lot of government activity in that area, and uh, I don't know. We're having trouble setting up a meeting, which is very strange because we're having one in, in Vermont and one in England, and uh, some others we're working on too. But uh, this particular one seems to be a kind of a hard nut to crack. So anyway, here's a question from Harry M in Boston. It has to do with books. Almost said it. Yeah. I know I didn't. Yeah, I yeah. didn't say it. Good, good, good check. Good, good call on that one. All right, so Harry writes to us. Hi, Paul and Ben. I love the show and never miss it. Thank you for the free podcasts. Uh, many show shows uh, charge for their podcasts, and many people can't afford to pay. That's understandable. No, it's our pleasure to do that. Yeah. Yes, yes. I hate when people make me pay for stuff. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I have a question, especially for you, Paul. I am an avid reader, especially when it comes to unusual books on paranormal subjects, fiction, and nonfiction. I have, of course, read all your books. I was wondering if you ever read uh, Little Big by John Crowley or uh, Mythigo Wood by Robert Holdstock, uh, both published in the 1980s. I would love to hear your ideas about these books uh, uh, reflect the multiverse, about how these books reflect the multiverse. Well, that, that's a great question, Harry, and I appreciate it because, as it happens, uh, Little Big by John Crowley is one of my favorite books. And these are both works of fiction. And uh, Mythago Wood, at least that's how I pronounce it, I, I don't know how you really well that's by Robert Holdstock. Uh, they are very different books, but they do, they can be related, I suppose, to the multiverse idea. And a lot of people, we actually had one of our contest questions was where was the idea of the multiverse, or where was the word multiverse first used? And a lot of people answered they, they thought I had coined that word. That's not true at all. It was first used in what, 1895 by, um, Henry James, or one of the, the great authors of our of that time. Yes. And so it's it's not my term, and it's not my idea. It's just what I have seen over four decades or more working with this as the best possible explanation, far better than the usual superstition and spiritualist stuff that is generally used to explain these things. And Ben uh, has been coming in with me now. Naturally, he's a little biased because he grew up hearing my lectures three or four hundred times uh, but he has, has will, will concur that this is the, the best explanation that we've seen for these these ex, these well thanks to philosophy i've become a little bit more uh skeptical if you will yes yes so well i wouldn't say skeptical i i'd, I'd say uh, more considerate of other yeah, yeah. ideas yeah good yeah always that's uh, that's one thing philosophy is supposed to do is give you the advantage, or sometimes in this world, a disadvantage of seeing all the different sides of an argument. Maybe more politicians should do that. Anyway, uh, th- these are great books. I would recommend them. Uh, John Crowley is a British author, and Little Big is the story of, it's really unusual, it's the story of a young man named Smokey Barnable, as I recall. And he, I've read this book several times. Smokey Barnable. Smokey Barnable. Yeah, everybody in the book has nature names. And he leaves the city, and, and this this... The way it's written, it, it, it seems like, it, you know, it's one of these books where you really can't place what time and place it is set in. And uh, But it strikes me as um, sort of like New York, New York City, and he leaves and literally has to walk out into the countryside to marry his, his wife-to-be, who's a member of a very, very unusual family. And this family seems to be in touch with a lot of nifty things in nature. The uh, multiverse idea comes in where you have, uh, and everybody around this estate and in the, in the neighborhood of this, this estate seems to have um, nature names. You know, the, you have the Hill family, the Weed family, the uh, Dales, and the, uh, this and, <laughs> and the particular um, uh, woman involved is quite interesting. Uh, they seem to have contact with what might be called 
little people. There are all sorts of interesting photographs. And Smokey is a little bit dense, I think, here. And he, it takes <laughs> him a while to sort of get all this. And it does follow uh, the story of their marriage all the way through many years. Uh, and interestingly enough, the background is sort of an economic collapse in America, and things are pretty bad at the end. They don't even have electric lights. Uh, but they still have this wonderful old house and this 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 uh, tremendous um, uh, area where, where they live. And, and in the end, they do enter a parallel world. Uh, I don't want to give the plot away, uh, but Smokey dies in the process. And, of course, that of course, it brings in some of our ideas of death and stuff. So I don't know if Crowley's ever read anything. I remember, probably not. He wrote in the 80s, and I, I was... Uh, you know, not too prominent in those days. So in any case, that's the story of that. And Mathago Wood is uh, a very interesting story as well, and that has to do with an English, uh, also in a, uh, an English estate, rather, uh, which is very close to a an enchanted woodland area in which all sorts of myths seem to come to life. If you go in there, I know one of them is, uh, I believe it's pronounced Cahoolan, the, the, the great ancient Irish warrior hero uh, who comes down in many folk tales and there's a there are also a number of romans and and the, the all all the stuff from european folklore the uh, the wild hunt and all sorts of gods and things and uh, if you get too close to this you kind of get burned and the trouble with uh, one of the brothers in the household is that he falls in love with a beautiful uh, queen or princess whose name escapes me, but uh, all sorts of uh, multiversal complications result. Uh, so these these are great books, and I thank you, uh, Harry, for bringing these up because I I really um, like these books myself. And the whole multiverse idea and parallel worlds are, are reflected in many many aspects of of literature and uh, nonfiction as well today. So you know it's not just our idea, but thanks for bringing that up. It's an interesting question. Okay, now we have. Oh, it's a question on, uh, I guess, Lovecraft uh, from uh, Gary. I won't. Ben is sort of the identity cop. We have a. Uh, well, thing. they ask not to be. Well, no, no, no. Well, sometimes I don't know. Maybe the form should be reset because <laughs> sometimes uh, people. Uh, we have a form on our website behindtheparanormal.com where you can ask these questions, and most people use that form. And it has a spot where you can say, "Please, you, you know, use my full name or don't." Well, I will just say Gary uh, from Omaha, Nebraska. Okay. Okay, whatever. So, Gary writes, I am a fan of yours and a huge fan of H.P. Lovecraft. I was uh, amazed to hear you mention that he was a cousin of yours and Ben's. Does uh, the multiverse theory run in your family? Uh, Much of Lovecraft's work uh, reminded me of it. Also, there are all kinds of books today that claim Lovecraft uh, possessed all kinds of secrets about reality and ancient gods that he put into his stories. What do you think of that? Well, I don't think much of it, actually. Uh, and we're not, we're not that closely related to Lovecraft. We had a common ancestor in the late 1700s or something, and so we're like fifth cousins or something. But uh, my mother, uh, Ben's grandmother, uh, said that my father indicated, at least that my father uh, corresponded with Lovecraft at some, at some point in the uh, uh, 1920s or, or early 30s uh, as a fan. Probably had no idea there was any family relationship. And that would be something. I have really, really tried to find any of those letters because Lovecraft was one of the most famous, uh, what's the word, epistolarians in American history. Yeah, I think that's uh, the right word. Uh, letter writers. And his letters have been published in a, in a series, of, I believe it's five books. Uh, the, the Epistles of Lovecraft. Yeah, so he wrote far more letters. Had he written fewer letters, he might have been able to write more stories, but he was certainly uh, native of Providence, Rhode Island, and one of the greatest... Uh, uh, horror story and fantasy writers of the 20th century uh, often equated with Edgar Allan Poe uh, sort of of the he 20th He doesn't get the century. credit he deserves I don't think but it, well he's been called one of the 10 greatest writers of all time I think that's a bit of a stretch but nevertheless uh, I, I always love his, his work and, well if he is well he is related to us and we're pretty weird so I think he's <laughs> just I think he's just pretty eccentric well, yeah, true. Uh, actually, Lovecraft was an avowed atheist who didn't says claims he didn't believe in anything except materialism. That that was not an unusual position in those days. Uh, he lived from uh, 1890 to 1937. But thanks, fa- Rene Descartes. What? I'm blaming Rene Descartes. Oh, yeah. Well, we, we tend to do that. But he he. D- 
didn't believe in any of the things he was writing about. He sort of just enjoyed, he always said he wrote for himself. He didn't try to please an audience, although he was published in a number of magazines. Matter of fact, uh, your grandfather had a complete collection of Weird Tales magazine that Grandma threw out uh. in the 1950s. Oh, I can imagine what that would be worth today. Anyway, Picture Lovecraft was published in like that. It's like someone out of the Dead Sea Scrolls in their living room. Oh, we need to clean this out. Exactly. Just exactly. Well, anyway, Grandma had her opinions. So anyway, uh, the, the, the whole idea of Lovecraft as a great writer is, is certainly uh, well fixed in American literature in one way or another. But uh, I don't. But he did, he simply I can't believe that he believed any of the things he was writing. He does refer to uh, at one point to uh, an alien race that walked. Matter of fact, the way he put it, between worlds. All right, and he might have met planets, but he did pioneer in fiction a lot of the ideas that you that might come up in speculation about the multiverse yeah like the dream quest of unknown kadath sure yeah uh, that's one of the lesser known stories but certainly a one that kind of carries you along uh through various worlds and this is something that he was familiar i know with quantum mechanics because he mentions it in his letters but whether he actually believed in any of this i don't know there there there's much literature today about a, a book that he see he used to make up spooky sounding books to put in his own stories like like the Necronomicon or the Necronomicon Necro- depending yeah, how you ne- pronounce it the Necronomicon you know of the mad Arab Abdul Al Hazred or something and because uh, he just made this stuff up Abdul Al Hazred what was a childhood nickname that his grandfather gave him because <laughs> he had an Arab stage where he liked to dress up and play at the, the Arabian Nights and all this business. So I mean, these are all things that came from his own his own past and in jokes and things like this. So what he, I can't believe that he actually believed any of this stuff, uh, particularly being an avowed materialist. So uh, I hate to disappoint you, Gary, but I, I just don't think that any of these books were real. He didn't know any particular secrets. He just really had a great time uh, writing these stories, and he had a he was a known to his friends as sort of a really great fellow, uh, very quiet, very scholarly and brilliant, but self-taught uh, without the intellectual discipline of a classroom or anything like this. But nevertheless, uh, uh, I just don't don't think that he believed uh, actually any of this stuff. But good question, because a lot of people think that he did. Okay, we have time for one or two. Well, as, as cool as that would be, I mean... I uh, maybe yeah. look, look at I don't know I often look at this, some of the stuff we run into. I often wonder uh, ha- half of his characters end up in mental asylums and and because uh, they they learn too much about the nature of reality. Uh, yes, <laughs> Sometimes I Arkham wonder. Asylum over here. <laughs> Arkham Asylum, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, the word, uh, the, the term Arkham, the, the town in Massachusetts, it sometimes come up, comes up even on television today. Uh, that's a town Lovecraft invented. It's oh yeah, it's also in Batman too. Really? Yeah, yeah, okay. it's it's a big Batman thing. It's Arkham amazing Asylum. where Lovecraft's influence reaches at the point. So. Uh-huh. Um, all right, well, here's uh, one uh, from, all right, Molly, I won't give her last name, in uh, Cimarron, New Mexico. Okay, so Molly writes to us, Hi, Paul and Ben. Uh, can you explain again what tulips are, or tulpas are? This, I'm sorry. Tulips? Sorry, I read Wrong a... show. Okay. Yes. Sir, yes, I know you're tired. I know. It, it's Monday. So. Well, I'm 200 years older than you are. Uh, what tulips are, and uh, could they take the form of tulips? I said tulips again. Oh. Uh-oh. Okay. Tulpas. Tulpas. All right. Okay. Tulpas. What tulpas, there we go, tulpas are, and could they take the form of Bigfoot, giant birds, or some of the other monsters uh, we hear about? Okay, well, compared with daffodils and geraniums, oh, I would say, no, okay, sorry. It's going right. to go on the rest of the show. Now. Okay, <laughs> running gag. Okay, uh, that's a very, very good question, Molly. Uh, because oh, Now, what a tulpa is generally is, is thought to be, so to speak, is a thought projection uh, created by intense concentration by a very powerful shaman or group of people. This is um, generally thought to be a thought form, uh, as one way we put it in the West, and it is part of the spirituality of, among others, the Tibetan Buddhists. They, however, uh, the monks there are very careful, however, when they do this, it's considered an act of discipline, spiritual discipline to, to do it, but they often find that the thing that is created cannot be put back in the box, so to speak, so it takes on a life of its own. I was actually familiar with a group of college students in Ontario, Canada, who 
literally got together and, uh, against the better judgment of a friend of mine, formed a group, came up with a personality, wrote it down, uh, just made the whole thing up, and set about to create an, an entity, a ghost, if you will. And what they, they, it got to the point where it was a female ghost. They actually got photographs of it. There's one photograph of it sort of reclining on the ground and looking at the camera. And uh, this gets really weird. So it makes you wonder, again, about the nature of ghosts. What, what I think was happening is they're not creating anything except a dinner bell for parasitical entities or negative entities to come running and feed off the energy and to be whatever you want it to be. Uh, until, of course, it um, starts to take over. And that's often the complaint of people who are involved with these tulpas spiritually, is that, and it's something we certainly do not recommend, that the things become powerful and will literally um, be uncontrollable. Now, they often take the forms of animals, and we have seen in a number of cases, or I've seen in a number of cases, particularly I'm thinking back to the 1970s, uh, there was one case in Bristol, Connecticut, where they would see red eyes looking in their window or out from under furniture and uh, the growling as though of some kind of wolf or bear or other animal and animals sort of featured in this and I said, oh, do you wonder if these could be tulpas because the intense energy in the house might have taken the form of that sort of, of negative entity. So uh, I think that that's entirely possible but, but now uh, Molly here takes the question a step further with the idea could these what are known as cryptids, you know, unclassified animals, you know, the famous kind, Bigfoot, Loch Ness monster, wh- whatever these things are, uh, could take could actually be tulpas. That's a good question, and I, I, I mean, we, we've often thought that now. Now we're not big researchers in that field in particular. We're in touch with a lot of people who are. We have a lot of guests who are. We know people who've chased uh, Bigfoot and giant birds and all these things, a you know, monster quest and all this business. And uh, they are open to the idea that these are multiversal creatures. They might pop in and out of uh, through world boundaries that happen to be crossing ours at any point at certain points. And that's why none of the none of them uh, has been found, particularly bodies or this sort of thing, but only remnants, you know, hair uh, and some evidence of these things have been found. So it is possible that some of these could be uh, not necessarily multiversal creatures, but I don't see any reason why they couldn't be topas as well. But you'd have to have an energy source. And many of these cryptids are not in there, any particular area where it's a large area where you have a lot of human habitation, or uh, or groups you know concentrating on them to create tulpas or 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 feeding energy into certain areas where they might be created. Although it is theoretically possible. Oh, who's the? We still have to get in touch with a fellow in Pennsylvania who has told us that he is friendly with a family of of. Big foots, big feet, whatever, and he was interested in being on the show. We're going to be pursuing that and see what happens. But none of, at least the ones I've heard about or run into, or our guests have described, just do not sound to me like tulpas. But it is theoretically possible. What say you, Ben? Uh, well, anything's really possible. So well, that's true, as we said in the beginning of the show. Any anything is indeed possible. So if that's but can you get Bigfoot to clean your pans in your kitchen? That that you know because they're to combine the Harry Potter thing. Oh well, then it turns to Harry and the Hendersons over here. <laughs> <laughs> that's gonna be a, that's good. That's a good comment. That's gonna be a classic. Okay, excellent. All right, uh, how much time we have there, Mr. Producer? Uh, we have about uh, five minutes. Okay, Ooh, got a quick one here. Uh, well, some, no. something relatively short. Okay, well, probably um, we can talk about Harry and the Hendersons for a little bit. I suppose. <laughs> Well, yeah, okay, well, because yeah, really, I, I don't want to start one and then not have the time to finish it. But, yeah, well, with Harry and the Hendersons, well, that, that's, I've only seen it once. It's a film in which, uh, this family's driving down a road, like, someplace out west and, and, and slams into a Bigfoot who's crossing the road. And he's uh, incapacitated and they, they stuff him into the car because they feel sorry for him and take him home. And he sort of is a, sort of a, a, a nice fellow, you know, mm-hmm. although he, fries their furniture and stuff because he's too big uh, that sort of thing and that, that, that's essentially I don't know if I've even seen the whole thing but uh, this um, it's fellow in Pennsylvania claims that he's uh, been friendly with a family of, of, of big feet and they uh, have a rudimentary relationship and you don't think of Pennsylvania as being Bigfoot country but apparently everywhere everywhere is feet. I know that um, according to the BFRO every I think it's one and a quarter mile there's a Bigfoot 
That's a lot of big feet. Yes, I know. Yeah. Well, they were here in Rhode Island uh, filming. And as a matter of fact, our friends uh, uh, Keith and Carl Johnson were involved in, in that particular show. And uh, I remember they met in the East Greenwich Town Hall, very historic place. And they were, the team uh, was, well, we're, we're going to try to get them on the show, as a matter of fact. The team. Oh, we are? We're actually going to do that? I'm going to try. It. Yeah, I'm going to try. It. I haven't approached them yet, but I announced mean, why should why wouldn't they want to? Everybody wants to be on this show. You yeah. believe the emails Every, I get. Everybody wants. It's to be some on of the entitlement show. culture. Like if they're told that the, the, the subject is not really appropriate or we don't really have this kind of stuff on the show, they some of them get irate as though they're like they're entitled to be on the show. Well, yeah, what is that? that? Well, that's just how people are nowadays. I mean, it's like, well, I have the right to be on the show. It's like, well, we. We own well, the show. show. Yeah, it's like much. we can we can decide who comes on and who yeah. doesn't come on. Well, anyway, there we are. Yeah. So, well, uh, yeah, that's uh, something to look forward to. We'll see if we can't uh, can't get that going. Okay, so I'll just uh, remind you, uh, behindtheparanormal.com is our website. Check out future guests, past guests, and over almost not over, but almost four hundred podcasts, all free. And uh, send them around to your brother-in-law, whatever. Send them to your friends. Do anything you want with them, except edit them. That, that's that's one thing we ask you not to do. Uh, make a, you know, make a say silly thing. Uh, yeah. Also, uh, you can buy my books on they the can site. You say tulips for like two minutes. Yes, straight. exactly. Yes, uh, <laughs> buy my books, and of course, footsteps in the attic back in print. You can buy it again there. Uh, subscribe to our newsletter or become a reporter at the site if you wish. And oh, we already said that. So uh, anyway, many thanks to our producer. Mr. Ben himself, who's been running the board the past few weeks, doing a fine job here at WOON. Thank you. And we'll see you next Monday, April 9th, here on WOON, 1240 a.m. and com. when Ben and I will welcome back prolific author and paranormal expert, expert Rosemary Ellen Guiley for a discussion of those mysterious little people and what could be behind the persistent legends about them from all over the world. Wow, it's been a long time since we've had her on. Yeah, well, it's also, we kind of miss St. Patrick's Day, but what the hey. Yeah, yeah, oh, well. So on our regular CBS radio, our regular CBS radio edition, so many R's in that sentence, uh, on Sunday, April 8th, in Boston, Pittsburgh, Detroit, and Seattle, we'll visit the Iroquois author and healer, Michael Bastine, and talk about Native Americans and the paranormal. Something, believe it or not, we've never discussed on the show before. Uh, we leave you this evening with a quote from American author Henry Van Dyke. Be glad of life because it gives you the chance to love and to work and to play and to look up at the stars. Unquote. Thanks for joining us in our great cosmic journey, and we will see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.